Ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res. My name is Josh Herring, and today I am joined by Ethan Delves, Matt Summers, and Tessa Holtzman. Here at What's the Res, we are normally dedicated to hosting the ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. Uh, today we're going to have a bit of a different kind of episode. We're going to jump out of the high school space and into the growing world of middle school debate. Matt Summers and Tessa Holtzman are co-founders of a unique organization called Debate Spaces, uh, and today they're going to share uh, all uh, with us a lot about what their organization does and how they started that and why and all kinds of things. Matt and Tessa, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks so much for having us. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to join you. Uh, we are so glad y'all were up for this. I know uh, Matt messaged me over Facebook a few weeks ago to uh, see if our middle schoolers would be interested, and I'm really intrigued about your organization. So before we get to debate spaces, though, uh, tell us a bit about yourselves. Where are you guys uh, in life and geography and uh, ambitions, all those sorts of things? What what uh, Help us know a bit more about you. Yeah, great. Thanks so much for asking. Happy to kick us off. Uh, I'm Tessa, co-founder of Debate Spaces and current graduate student at the Harvard Kennedy School of Public Policy. Um, I've always been really interested in education and making education, including debate, more accessible to uh, students from all backgrounds. So at the Kennedy School, I'm able to put a, a policy frame to that and think about the ways that we're expanding access to education and extracurricular opportunities for middle school students, high school students, uh, students across the spectrum. And at Debate Spaces, uh, I'm able to do that at a programmatic level. And as an organization, we're really working to bring debate to middle school students who don't have access to, to debate programming, which is unfortunately pretty common. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so I'm Matt. I am also a graduate student at Harvard. I'm a third year at the law school. And I originally am from New Jersey, got involved with debate um, through high school and then college. And my outside of debate, I'm super interested in antitrust law. So I helped to start the antitrust <clears throat> association at the law school. And um, we've gotten to bring in lots of really cool speakers. And I've gotten involved on the some of the policy debates going on in antitrust right now, which I find super interesting and they hit my like econ brain and my law brain um, in all the right ways. Fantastic. I remember we had a public forum debate not too many years ago about mm -hmm. um, big tech and uh, whether or not big tech functioned as a trust and so on. So like Matt, that's, that's up your, your interest area then it sounds like. Yes. A hundred percent. Fantastic. Uh, okay, so tell us what is what is debate spaces and how 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 did all of this get get started? Yeah, so um, the backstory is that I was living in South Africa in 2016, doing a 
English teaching Fulbright. And while I was there, I was living in a town called Stellenbosch, which is just outside of Cape Town, kind of close to the ocean, sort of an idyllic place to live. Um, but it's an extremely divided community. So on one side of town, you have the highest concentration of billionaires in sub-Saharan Africa. You've got vineyards, you've got these like Dutch style houses. And then less than two miles away, you cross a bridge and enter uh, what's called a township called Kayamandi, where students and um, their parents are living in abject poverty in a lot of different ways. And so I was living and working on opposite sides of that divide. And it really felt like it was wearing on me and obviously had worn on the community for a very long time. And so I wanted to do what I could in, you know, even just small ways to try to bridge that bridge and find a way to, to bring people together. And I had, you know, this debate credential. I was the um, top speaker at U.S. Uh, British Parliamentary Nationals in college. And so it felt like I could draw people in sort of with that and use that as a vehicle to help students to connect across this great divide. And so I started an after-school program that I called Debate Spaces, and that was sort of in its nascent form, just trying to bring students together and find a way to, to kind of create connection. And while, while I was doing that, I just had some incredible conversations with students and ability to sort of, like, you know, we, we sort of found this space to, to, to really come together. So we had just one example is a conversation we had where I asked students to talk about the biggest challenge facing their community. And remember that these are students that live less than two miles apart, but the wealthy students talked about how there was a lot of pressure at school and from teachers and the lower income students, um, who are also the black students, talked about how like them, like their group of friends had been robbed at knife point the week before. And like they and their classmates just genuinely were not safe in, in their community. And it felt like that was a kind of conversation that didn't happen a lot around Stellenbosch. And instead, people sort of stayed in these silos. And so it felt like there was an important opportunity to bring that together. And then when I came back to Boston, um, I connected with Tessa, and it became very clear that there are similar, um, obviously, they look different, but similar in a lot of ways, challenges like that in Boston. And so, um, yeah, and I think, you know, debate, when you first think about debate, you don't think of it as a tool to bring people together. You think of it as this competitive activity where students are going head to head, whoever has the best argument wins. But I think in debate spaces, we see debate a little bit differently. We see it as a way to create space for students to have these really important conversations that outside of debate, they probably aren't having and that students can really grow from the conversations and debates that they're having. Um, whether they're taking away a new argument, a new perspective, a new way to look at an issue, whether they're making friends with somebody, one of their competitors who they wouldn't have otherwise met. And based on that friendship, they're able to have an entirely new outlook on issues, on the world, on their place in their community. And so that is what Debate Spaces uh, is now doing, both in Boston, nationally, and, and in fact, still internationally. That's really cool how... Both of you have gotten to experience and sort of see that massive divide between groups and sort of be in the middle and bring people together in that way. Um, I'm wondering if I, I guess like this could be a difficult thing to sort of put a tangible label on. But in what ways have you seen that gap sort of being bridged and people coming together in different ways through the activity of debate? 
So, <clears throat> so we've had students who, um, you know, come from just like dramatically different walks of life, even within the U.S. and different like family backgrounds, racial, socioeconomic, religious, and we've provided opportunities for those students to talk about really important issues and also to take action on those issues. That's so cool how you guys get to be in the middle of that and sort of, cause that's not a conversation that you see people having every day. And I think like that example in Africa really struck with me just cause you said it's two miles apart, correct? Yep. Yeah. That's, and like the, you can bring these people together. And what surprises me is, is the level of interest on both sides that debate is not something well, from an opportunity standpoint, now that you've made it, that is not something that only, you know, elite classes can participate in. But it's so fascinating how there's interest on both sides of the spectrum. And there's two there's two completely different worlds of issues here that people can deal with. So congratulations to you guys. I mean, that's amazing. And the fact that this is national, international program, um, that's so special. It's this is so cool to have you guys on today. Great job. And one of the things I, I find really cool about what you what y'all were just explaining, I mean, I've seen some of that. Uh, a very different level at in high school, but there there's a way in which uh, debate creates a, a unique kind of friendship, and it's one thing to go to a tournament and just be super competitive and like be gunning for straight wins. At least on our team, that we've yet to have a tournament where anybody goes and like wins every single round. That that that's not our team. That's just not what we do, and yet. Uh, there is it's almost like I, I don't know we've all gone to the battlefront together we have warred and combated and uh, there's this really this spirit of team and friendship that's formed through these common experiences of researching and cutting cards and running arguments and knowing that you're going up against a spreading student even if you hate spreading and you have to figure out how to respond and and at the end of the day I think I remember last year we we went to the uh, Harvard tournament and uh, uh, Ethan had uh, several rounds where uh, he was a bit bummed about how he had done in those rounds. But he went back to the, the big hangout room with all the students and he met friends from all over the country within about 20 minutes. And he called me half an hour later and he had met a policy student who had shown him a whole new way to flow. And now, like, the world was turning back up the right side again. And uh, there's just something about going through these experiences that lends itself to friendship that uh, really... Uh, it, it it seems like it gets everybody out of their particular background without ignoring their background, but it gives us all a common space to be inside of, and we compete together, and we sort of grow closer to each other through the game of debate. Yeah, I 100% agree, and I've, I, I know Tessa also has experienced the same thing over our years in competition, both of, uh, you know, friends through the, through our team and also friends from other teams. It just kind of creates this common language that people can can come together through. Well, let's do back up just a minute, because I realized I, I skipped a bit, but I wanted to cover. Um, do tell us y'all stories with debate. I, I was reading through your bios on uh, debatespaces.org, and uh, it sounds like you both have spent a lot of time in debate. So uh, take us back to the beginning there. What got you into this activity? Uh, give us a brief rundown of what you did in competition years, because, of course, you're I assume debate finally dies at the end of college unless you become a coach. Like there, there's not graduate school competitive. The NSDA, the uh, the NFA, they, they don't run grad school tournaments, unfortunately. Uh, but do also help us know a little bit about how did debate prepare you for who you're becoming now? 
Yeah, definitely. And I guess, you know, debate spaces means that that I get to remain involved in debate um, despite being a graduate student now. So that's one of the really exciting parts of it for me. Um, I was not a middle school debater. I was not a high school debater. Uh, I grew up attending a public high school and middle school that did not offer debate as as an activity, um, though I think it would have been something uh, I would have been excited about as a student. I attended undergraduate um, undergrad at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, and one of the things Bates is known for is its college debate team. It's a parliamentary style debate team. So American parliamentary and British parliamentary formats. And when I got to Bates, I, I knew about the debate team, but I wasn't totally sold um, until the night of the activities fair. And I walked past the debate table and all of these upperclassmen were, you know, trying to grab you, trying to sell you on debate. And maybe unsurprisingly, they were really good at it compared to the other activities because that is exactly what debate uh, teaches you to do. So no surprise to anyone, showed up the first day of practice um, and spent a year trying to figure out the ins and outs of competitive collegiate debate as somebody who had no prior debate experience. And the collegiate sphere uh, of, of debate is dominated, especially that first year, by high school debaters. Um, and so it was a steep learning curve, but stuck with it, uh, mostly because of some fantastic friendships and mentorships from, from upperclassmen. And so, you know, already the, the connections in debate were really what kept me going throughout, throughout my whole time in college, and especially those early years when I was still trying to figure out what the activity uh, was, was about. Um, but I also learned so much that first year and was all of a sudden applying it in my classes. I was writing better essays. Uh, I was able to participate in a clearer and more concise way. Um, and I sort of had this realization that, oh my gosh, debate is so much more than this competitive activity. It's really a way, it's a framework for how I think most people should be thinking about and engaging with issues. Um, and so that was sort of a watershed moment for me uh, and shaped the rest of my, my collegiate career. I studied abroad in Bolivia during my junior year. And uh, while I was there, started the first high school debate team in the country um, because I noticed that students, you know, Bolivia is a incredibly politically active country, but I noticed a divide between generations. The older generations were really plugged in and involved and the younger generations we're plugged into a little bit of a lesser extent. And so I, you know, saw debate as an opportunity to, to bridge that generational divide um, in Bolivia. Uh, and so, you know, that was sort of some, some of the beginning of my work and thinking about how can we use debate to bridge divides rather than think about it as a competitive activity that creates divides um, between students. Um, so, so yeah, and I, you know, I finished out my, my collegiate career on, on an upswing, um, broke first the top-seeded team at, at U.S. BP Nationals, um, as well as won the Women and Gender Minorities North American Championships. Uh, so, you know, I think the big story at the, end, at, at the end of this, reflecting back, is 
students should should persevere and early lack of competitive success doesn't mean anything for your ability to find competitive success down the road. And even if you never see competitive success, debate is so much more than that. And there are so many benefits that you should be taking from it as a participant in debate rather than than the accolades, because looking back, the accolades are the last thing uh, I mention when I talk about debate. Yeah, um, I came to debate a bit earlier than Tessa. I went to Milburn High School, which has been competitive in debate uh, nationally for a pretty long time. And I didn't do it my freshman year. Um, I kind of wanted to, but I was on the soccer team and nobody else on the soccer team was doing debate. So it felt like, oh, this maybe this isn't something I should do. Um, but I was obsessed with the movie Thank You for Smoking, uh, where the, I think the kid becomes a debater at the end. Um, and it like it kind of always debate as an activity sort of spoke to my personality. I was obnoxious and argumentative, kind of like I am now. And so I eventually um, uh, basically coerced uh, one of my good friends in high school to uh, to join the team with me and do public forum sophomore year. And it really kind of took off from there. I was uh, similar to Tessa, like not terribly competitively successful in the early years, um, but I had a ton of fun. It was super exciting. It was interesting. It felt like it was like a kind of game of intellectual chess that I got to play and just every time just like run up against people. Um, I remember one round in particular, I think that first year where by the end of the round, I was just like, they're right. Like I agree with everything they're saying. Every word that comes out of their mouth is correct. And I could never debate like that. I could never beat these people, et cetera. And we did lose very badly. Um, but I think, uh, you know, over time, like I, I got more confidence, I got more strategic. I made friends from both around the, the state and around the national circuit and started to become more nationally competitive. Although I wasn't terribly nationally competitive in high school. Um, and then I decided that I had a great time in debate, but I was done with it after high school. Like, you know, put a bow on it and, and conclude, um, in part because I was applying to a bunch of liberal arts colleges that didn't have terribly active debate teams. And I, um, but I was, you know, I was touring different places and some of them had parliamentary teams. And so I did an overnight stay at Bates College and got to know the debate team there. And I just heard these, like, incredible things about people that had gotten to travel the world and make these amazing friends from around the globe through debate and, you know, find all this success and, you know, like just people that were kind of thinking and speaking on like levels that I just couldn't comprehend as a, as a bushy tailed 18 year old. And so I, um, I, anyway, I, that convinced me, <laughs> I joined the team. Um, I went, I went to Bates and then I joined the debate team and I ended up finding pretty much all those things. I got to travel to something like 14 different countries through debate, uh, pretty much all paid for through the Bates debate budget. And um, yeah, I got to meet incredible friends like Tessa. I found some success. Um, I think I mentioned already being the top speaker at, at nationals my senior year um, and being the president of the team. I think Tessa forgot to mention that she was the first female president of the Bates team in like 20 years. Um, but uh, anyway, so it's just this, this amazing experience and it's continued to shape the way that I think, the way that I talk, the way that I write and my um, kind of ambitions and things like that. Like I definitely, um, you know, I, I don't know that I would have come to law school if it hadn't been for debate. I don't think I would have done as well in law school had I not debated. 
And um, yeah, it's been super exciting. Even in law school, I've gotten to continue kind of the fake law school version of debate. Uh, so I got to argue in front of some federal judges in our moot court tournament last year, um, which was really fun. But yeah, that's kind of, that's been my journey. That's awesome. That's a great, uh, I appreciate you both sharing that, that journey with us. Um, Matt, I'd, uh, since you brought up thank you for smoking, I have resisted the temptation to uh, ask my high school debaters to watch that one. Um, I, I, uh, that was the requirement for anyone joining the extemp team at uh, Hillsdale College's forensics program. Uh, that's that's where I met all this stuff. As a, and I I got placed in this uh, by by a registrar deciding that I was going to take a one credit forensics class and had no idea what I was showing up for. And I uh, got quickly recruited, but uh, they, they required uh, as a senior named J.T. Tucker before my first tournament said, OK, Friday night, you're in this dorm. You're going to watch this movie with us. And then we're going to talk about why you are basically Nick Naylor when you get the uh, you get the questions. And doesn't re- it does not matter what you think or what you believe. What matters is what do your sources say and how can you spin that? And. We, we evolved our team philosophy a little bit more over the years, but it started yeah. with thank you for smoking. And that still is uh, the, 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 the my inner terrible person loves that movie. I mean, it's a it's a terrible movie on so many moral fronts, but it's a great movie for sophistry. And there's still a hefty dose of sophistry in, in the in the middle of the game. I, I think the game is helpful in a lot of ways. But anyway, uh, I love that you mentioned that. Well, let's go back to uh, debate spaces. Uh, uh, is so you guys both have international experiences that are part of your story. Is Debate Spaces still an international organization? And tell us about what that looks like. Yeah. So when we came to Boston and started kind of the formalized version of Debate Spaces in Boston back in 2017, we were a local organization. So and and then for the subsequent couple of years, we focused on expanding our reach within the Boston area, had a tremendous partnership with the Urban Debate League that's based in Boston and a number of schools. And we tried to really kind of uh, create this opportunity for people to connect across these divides within the Boston area. During COVID, things changed. So we couldn't hold in-person programming anymore as with debate organizations all around the country and around the world. And so we started hosting Zoom sessions, which not only did we find we're able to like make things better in some respects, but it also allowed us to expand our reach around the country and around the world. So we've been we've now brought in students from I forget how many states, but basically across the country. And then um, we're up to a dozen countries right now that are participating from Sri Lanka, Morocco, Rwanda, Jamaica, Panama, Curaçao, just like all over the place. And it's been super exciting to have students participate because our mission is to connect communities and empower students through debate. And what better way to do that than to introduce students to people they would genuinely never meet if it weren't for debate spaces. That's so cool. That's awesome. I think, I mean, I think like the international part of this is sort of what blows my mind. Um, because that just sounds like such a difficult barrier to breach. You, you guys will have to speak for this because I can't speak for this, but I can, I can imagine like we talked to another organization just the other day, um, urban debate league, right? Yeah. And like insanely impressive because in, like providing debate opportunities, coaching resources to, um, students in the city area, but putting, putting an organization, 
an organization like that on an international level just sounds like a whole nother project. Was that a difficult barrier for you guys to cross? Did it take longer or did you find it, did you find it sort of, I guess, like easier, like once you had that momentum going to sort of drive it home? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, really comes back to our own personal debate experiences and how our own experience in debate allowed us to make the, all of these friends and connections across the world because, you know, it was really helpful to say, I know somebody who knows somebody who is a debate coach in Panama, or I know somebody who knows somebody who's a de debate coach in Sri Lanka. And all of a sudden you realize that the debate network that we have as former collegiate debaters opens up this vast network spider web of connections and people who know people. Um, and that has made it really helpful um, and much easier to, to, to reach students across the world. Uh, so I think we really owe our, our success in international recruitment to the connections that debate allowed us to foster. Now, are those um, chapters, I guess I have two questions here. I'm just going to tie together. Are, are those um I, I'm thinking of these as like chapters of a club, but the, uh, are those are those groups are those school based or those individual people based? And also, are they all kind of? I, I'm assuming that you have to have English speaking as kind of a prerequisite, not as like elevating English, but simply as a common language. Because of course, you guys can't be fluent in like 50 different languages. <laughs> yes. Um, so I see a, a couple different questions baked into that one. Um, I can, I, I'll, I'll give you a quick outline of sort of how some of our programming works, because sometimes it is school-based, sometimes it's individual-based. Um, the main thrust of our programming we call our Debate Spaces Academy, uh, which takes place once a month on a Saturday, uh, right now over Zoom. Um, and that is open to any individual middle school student anywhere in the world. Um, assuming that that they speak English because that is the common language. Unfortunately, that is, you know, one of the barriers to participating in debate spaces right now. You know, I think you could come up with any number of ways that maybe in the future there'll be a debate spaces that takes place in Spanish, for example. Um, but for now, English is, is our common language. So assuming that a student is able to uh, speak English and has access to a computer with internet capabilities so that they can participate in Zoom, they are welcome to join our, our academy. And in our academy, we're doing a couple different things. Uh, we're learning very specific debate skills that can be really useful in the debate in a debate round, but also useful broadly in life, in school, in interpersonal relationships, and thinking about how debate is a little bit broader than just the competitive uh, context. So really shoring up some of those skills and, and being taught by some of the best collegiate debaters in in America, which is a really exciting opportunity for for a lot of students. Um, during our academy, students are also taking a deeper dive into uh, a, an issue that is happening around the world. So they might be discussing climate change, for example, or immigration, um, refugees, sort of some of these topics that debates are often focusing on. Um, so students are gaining some background information that might help them in a competitive debate round if they are a competitive debater. And if they're not a competitive debater, they're helping students expand their horizons and broaden their perspectives on issues that are impacting them in their everyday lives, most likely. Um, and then sort of the third component of our academy is uh, the ability to practice all of these skills in 
game-based skilled building drills um, and in a debate round uh, at the end of the day where you're debating uh, against students from all over the world. And so you're, you're creating those connections and having those really interesting conversations uh, and learning from different perspectives, um, which I think is a really unique uh, and some opportunity and something that our students have said is just invaluable and something that they can't get anywhere else. Um, in addition to our academies, we do also run uh, what we call debate spaces action cohorts. Uh, and so those are school based. So we work with schools to run after school programs um, where students meet a little bit more frequently, more like a traditional debate team, um, have the opportunity to participate in several debate rounds a week, um, but also think about how they can apply the debate skills they're learning uh, to their own civic engagement, whatever that means. We are letting students define civic engagement for themselves based on what they're interested in, what they're passionate about. Um, but we're providing them with the tools to, to pursue that engagement. So we're creating space for them to talk about issues that are important to them, to debate to debate each other on those issues and figure out what issue as a group they want to represent. Uh, and then we're helping them figure out what steps can they take to make an impact in their community? Can they use their debate skills to write a letter to the mayor, uh, maybe to their school board? Maybe they're using their debate skills to argue to their principal why there should be an after school club created. Our students have taken this, you know, they've interpreted this call for engagement in a variety of different ways. And debate spaces isn't telling students this is the way to be engaged. Rather, we're saying here is a toolbox full of tools that you can use to become engaged. And we think that there's a lot of value in being engaged. Take this toolbox and we'll create space for you to do whatever you want with it. And so that's what the action cohorts uh, are really about. It sounds like you guys have hit this really unique sweet spot um, between sort of like different side of the spectrum that I've kind of noticed over the six years that I've been doing debate since from seventh grade to senior year of high school. Um, sorry, I don't even know if you can hear me because it seems frozen. Yep, we can hear you. Well, well, we could hear you. Okay. Up. Oh, can you guys back. hear me? Yep. Start, okay, start, okay, yeah, cool. Just start that segment over again. Yeah, I stopped because I realized I was like, oh, man, it's freezing. OK, so it seems like you guys have hit this really cool sweet spot that on this spectrum that I've sort of noticed develop in the debate world. On one hand, you have organizations that are like ISD, TOC, where you see really progressive, intentional, tactical debate rounds happening. Um, and it seems like you guys, from what I can tell, cover that really well with students and give them those tools that they need to be able to operate in that sort of realm. But then on the other side of the spectrum, the main uh, Josh, I don't know if this is sort of going through your head as well. Um, the Reagan Foundation is is an organization that I'm thinking of where they're focused on the debate skills, but they're they're sort of concentrated, I guess you could say, on the rhetorical skills and being able to connect with people as a president might, or like, I guess in their case, President Ronald Reagan might, because he was known as a really good speaker. Um, and then you guys seem to be just perfectly in the middle with another organization that we've worked with before, the Coolidge Foundation, where debate, they have debate coaches on staff teaching people how to debate, you know, and sort of like helping them along when they're at the national tournament there. Um, it's a really sort of engaging process, but they're super focused on the debate side, but have never let civic engagement sort of slip 
in the background. So I think you guys have done like, it's just insane how great of a job you guys have done with keeping civic engagement at the forefront, but also having the necessary skills to back up a student in the debate world. It just seems like I have no idea how you guys landed in that sweet spot, but it seems like exactly what the debate world needs right now, because there's two like massively different sides of the spectrum. And I guess that's what you guys do, right? You were talking about the beginning, you bridge the gap. And it seems like you've done that within the debate world and taking it outside the debate world of bringing more people in. It's just such a cool sort of like system you guys have set up here. Yeah. I'll say that that's part of what, um, that's part of what draws students to us. And, and we're conscious of that. So we make sure that we provide just a world-class debate education. One of our board members was a semifinalist at the world championships. So genuinely one of the best debaters in the world. And he's judging middle schoolers in debate. And I don't care how good you are as a middle school debater, you're not going to be better than Ben Kornfeld. And he's going to be able to teach you things that will help you to be more competitively successful and like, you know, just do better at the tournaments you're going to. But we also have tons of students come in that don't have debate experience or don't have very much debate experience. And so we make sure that we provide a platform for those students to learn and grow and be introduced to the activity and get access to so many things that debate provides outside of the competitive context. On the uh, student engagement side, I think, uh, Ethan, I was I wasn't thinking about the Reagan Foundation, though. I think that's an excellent comparison is I think. Uh, they, uh, I, I was thinking more on the from, from a teacher angle. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds like you guys have hit the uh, maybe uh, sweet spot's a good word there, but have hit a good uh, maybe a moderate point of handing students tools for engagement without handing them advocacy points to be engaged upon. Because uh, I think for for engaging. I would imagine with the kind of international appeal that you described, uh, you probably hit, you have students from all religious and political backgrounds imaginable, way more complex than we have in the American political landscape. So anytime you bring minors into discussions about current political problems, you run the risk of broaching topics that will infuriate parents if they think that you are trying to indoctrinate their children on certain issues. And so I think it sounds to me like you got, but there, there's a ton of great things you can do in the realm of like, we're not teaching people what to think, we're teaching them how to think. And then really it's up to each individual to use those tools. So I think that's a, I think I, I, I like the approach you guys, uh, you, that you, you articulated there a moment ago. That, that strikes me as a very wise position. Um, does debate spaces use any particular style of debate? I mean, do y'all do worlds or British Parliament or public forum or LD or something totally different or everything? That That is a great question because we're bringing students together. Some of them have, you know, policy backgrounds. Some of them have public forum backgrounds. Some of them have speech backgrounds. Some of them have like international formats. And so uh, we were totally conscious of that when we started the program. And if you're going to build a program that brings people together through debate, you need to find a way to have people engage. And so uh, we call ourselves format agnostic. We've kind of stripped debate down to its bare bones of like give a speech making three arguments, give a speech making three arguments, give a speech responding to those ar to the other team's arguments, give a speech responding to the other team's arguments, give a summation saying why you won. And we found that students like students who have never done debate can engage in that and students who are like experienced debaters in policy or, or or parliamentary or something else can also really kind of tee off there. 
I love that phrase, format agnostic. Uh, would y'all mind if I steal that phrase? Can I can I start? Can I incorporate that into my stuff? Please do. That that I love that because I mean those are the basic skills that across all formats, constructive rebuttal, uh, crystallization, and summation. Even though some styles tend to kind of pretend that they can own those terms and skills, they're really in all of them, and uh, I, I love that. It sounds like that's also a. Uh, it can be a research light or a research heavy kind of approach. Am I inferring that correctly? Definitely. Yeah. And so we go back and forth. We've had, um, we've provided students with evidence in the past. Um, we've also had students, something we've been experimenting with recently that's been really fun is introducing students evidence through the speakers that we bring in. So we had students, uh, we had people who were just like kind of high school advocates come in to talk to the students about climate change and particularly talk about the intersection between racial justice and climate change. And then we had a debate round that was about, um, you know, basically like climate activism and whether and how uh, middle schoolers can or should get engaged in it. And the evidence they had to draw on was the evidence that they had just heard. So they're kind of hearing this and interpreting it and then called to use that in the round. Okay. Uh, Ethan, any other questions for, for Matt or Tessa about debate spaces? Otherwise, we're going to kind of shift towards our closing questions. No, that's great. Like, I feel like that was so free-flowing, and we were able to just, like, dig into so many unique aspects of that. And that's it's just such a cool, like, unique program. I could ask a million more questions, but I think I'm good to move on to, to the closing part. All right. Uh, I really think you guys are at the – it's kind of exciting to talk to people who are at the forefront of something because I think there's a bunch of organizations that are working with providing access to high school debate. But we found at our school that there's a um, – I, I teach at a – teach at and Ethan attends a school that has grades 6 through 12. So there's a lot of middle schoolers who look at what the high schoolers are doing, and they want that too. So I found over the years that our – uh, usually our middle school programs, when I can offer a club or we can get something going for middle school, it usually tends to grow more quickly than the high school offerings because there's a lot of middle schoolers that they they have ideas. They want to be able to express them well. That sounds like you guys are on a great track. Uh, I just want to shift gears a little bit to uh, I, I want to uh, get your thoughts on Harvard. As y'all both mentioned uh, earlier, you're doing grad school at Harvard. Matt, you're in the law program, and Tessa, you're uh, in the uh, the Kennedy School, uh, working on public policy. Uh, could y'all just give us uh, give us some insight into what it's like studying at Harvard? Sure. Um, so it's not as uh, mystical as I think I thought it was when I was in high school and came to the Harvard tournament. Um, it. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a pretty cool experience, to be honest. Um, there's like pretty, my, many of my peers are just really remarkable and have done and are going to do incredible things. A lot of my faculty members have worked directly in the White House and on, you know, just kind of crazy important issues. And so that's been really exciting. But at the end of the day, everybody's just people. We're all just trying to learn and trying to explore the ever very quickly changing world of American law. And so it's been really just kind of like a, you know, in most ways, a normal law school experience. I've been spending a lot of time in the library and spending a lot of time, uh, you know, trying to grapple with issues with my friends and a lot of time taking uh, exorbitantly long exams. Yeah, so I am actually a first year at the Kennedy School, which means I am about four weeks into the program. Um, 
So definitely still getting a feel for things, especially during during COVID, were totally remote, um, which is not how I expected to to start my grad school uh, experience. But you know, so far I've I've been blown away by the professors and the amount of thought and prep they've put into creating Zoom school. Um, you know, I, I would echo a lot of what Matt says. It's incredible to get to learn from, from professors who are at the top of their field, whatever that field is, and who really understand what it takes to, to be successful. Um, ironically, or perhaps not ironically, um, most of those professors, when they're talking about what it took for them to become successful, are skills that I think I learned through debate. And I imagine most debaters have learned through debate. So it's really reinforced, you know, if you know how to make uh, your point in a concise and persuasive manner, you are set for life, no matter, you know, what you go into. And that's been really reaffirming, um, both in terms of my own experience, but also debate spaces. It's, you know, our, our impact really is uh, essential for students, uh, whether they're in middle school, high school, college, um, or, you know, the real world. Um, and so, yeah, but, but I would, you know, similarly echo math that at the end of the day, Harvard has a big name and a big reputation. Um, and it's an amazing place to be, but it's also uh, a place where a diversity of students attend. So my the background of my peers look nothing like my background. Um, and success is defined by, in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, and so, you know, I would just, for any young listeners out there who are interested in going to Harvard one day, it is, you know, totally, totally within your reach, uh, no matter what your background is, no matter what your grades are right now. Uh, if you have an issue that you're passionate about and you're doing good work on that issue, you are Harvard material. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. I absolutely love that. I, I stepped into a new role as for college advising this year and uh, one of the things that I've been trying to encourage my students to keep in mind is that despite what they think they know, they don't actually know what admissions officers are, are actually looking for, and it does not hurt anyone to apply. Uh, at the same time, admissions often seems like it's kind of like playing roulette. You you might win, you might get lucky, you might get that spot, but don't 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 hang your hat on definitely getting in. But there is no reason to say. Well, because I have only a 3.9, which blows my mind. That's way more than I ever had in high school. But because I, I because I only have a 3.9 that I could not apply to some high-ranked school, it's yep. ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working with people who are attending a range of different policy schools and the guest speakers coming in. It's not like all of them have, have attended Harvard. So, where you go to school definitely doesn't define your trajectory uh, or success in life. Especially college. Especially like, college. I, was, I, I think I definitely was more successful and had a better time attending Bates than I would have if I had attended Harvard as an undergrad. Not that they would have let me in. <laughs> That's pretty inspiring. That takes, a lot of, that takes a lot of stress off of me because I'm applying to college right now. And that, that just shows that like... Even if, you know, one part of the application is lacking, they're really looking to look at you as a whole person. And it, I don't know. I, we've had a lot of interviews lately where it's just people are being super reassuring about this. So I'm happy. Yeah, I really don't sweat it. Awesome. Well, let me ask you one final uh, kind of uh, advice question. Uh, one of our school's top outcomes is uh, to have students who have dreams and aspirations to change the world. But one of the things that I've run into over the years uh, with uh, mostly high school students, I think this would trickle down to middle school as well, 
are students who want to change the world, but they don't know how. So I'm kind of curious uh, how you would both answer this question. What advice would you offer a student who wants to change the world, but has not yet found that burning issue to focus on? Yeah, I think that is super common and not not something students need to be that concerned about. Um, we're all young people. I'm still a young person. I'm still learning so much about the world. Uh, and I've discovered the issues that I'm passionate about, um, usually sort of by luck. I've, I've happened to cross an article. I've happened to read a book. And I'm like, that's really interesting. I want to learn more about it. And then I read a little bit more and I start to form an opinion. Um, and then my debate skills kick in and I start to really critically pick apart arguments that I'm reading and start to form my own my own opinion um, on an issue. I think, you know, as a high school student, as a middle school student, as a college student, um, as an adult, really, all you can do is have an open mind and consume, uh, consume a lot of material, whether that's reading material, podcasts, videos, it can be anything. It can be talking to, to another person um, and just start to be, be willing to critically question everything that you hear and understand why you're critically questioning it and is that critical questioning exciting to you? Um, and I think pretty quickly students start to realize like, oh, actually I am really interested in this specific issue. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be my advice. I would say that similar to Tessa, definitely don't wait until you have the perfect issue. Because if I was waiting for that, I would still be waiting. I have no idea necessarily like exactly what I'm going to do. And if I was constantly waiting before I went out and did something, I wouldn't have done things in the first place. You know, if I had waited to be like positive that debate was going to be my life, then I never would have started debate spaces. If I was waiting to know that antitrust was going to be what I did forever, and that was the only thing I cared about in the law, I wouldn't have started the antitrust club at Harvard. I think that it's really important to just like pick something like it doesn't really matter what it is, pick something and build the skill of being active, build the skill of doing something you care about. And by doing that, I think you're, that's how you really um, are going to keep moving closer and closer to what you ultimately really care about. And I don't really believe that there is an ultimate like thing, like you're not going to find one thing. People are complicated and we are all interested in a lot of things. Just do something. Do something you care about. Do it well. And if you decide it's time to move on, then move on. I think that's awesome how you let you both of you let your interests drive you. And that seems like the main factor. And I really like that phrase that you used about make like make it a habit of actively searching for whatever the thing is. And it's not and it's cool how you landed on antitrust and you guys both sort of landed on your own um, niches, I guess you could say. But I thought that was cool, Matt, how that related to what you said earlier about how you did debate for high school or you were on the soccer team and then you convinced your friend to help you out. And then after high school, you put a bow on it and you're just like, great, that was an awesome experience and I'm moving on now. And you weren't afraid to do that because you're, you know, you're searching for your new opportunities in undergrad and then law school, but then eventually debate intrigued you again. And well, here you are. So, like, but you're not afraid to put a pause on something try new things and explore your interests like that. And neither of you are. And I think that's super cool and encouraging just so that you don't feel like you have to force yourself into one area and, and stay there and sort of like keep on working at it to the point where you get burnt out. I think it's awesome how you guys just have tried so many different things. That's got to make for a really cool story and experience. 
think the uh, your your answers reminded me of a book that was really popular my junior year of college. It's by a Michigan pastor named Kevin DeYoung. Uh, he was writing to people who are uh, they they sort of want. God to appear in front of them and tell him, tell them, this is my will for your life. And uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote this book entitled, Just Do Something. And he said, uh, like, the the subtitle was, Stop Waiting for God to Tell You What to Do. (laughs) And his whole point was that, like, uh, really, and he's writing to a a Christian audience, but I think the point uh, extends beyond that. I was arguing, look, uh, you figure out what you're supposed to do, what you're meant to do, what God wants you to do by doing it. And it's not like there's a specific path that if you veer off of this path, you have like missed God's purpose for your life. Instead, every time there's opportunities in front of you, you step out and you work it. It either goes well or it doesn't. And you figure something else out and you sort of meander your way along. And in hindsight, it's this pretty clear, straight path that in the middle always looks zigzaggy. Like You can never tell where you're going to go, what you're going to do until you're past that season. And you look back and you see how season one prepared you for season two, which got you ready for season three. I've always found that to be kind of at least a helpful metaphor that like, Instead, just get out there and do something and and see what happens and then do something different. So thank you both for joining us today uh, to uh, share kind of what you've been working on. It's very exciting to uh, really see how the the skills of public policy and law research and debate all kind of come together uh, of all things to help middle schoolers be better able to uh, voice their concerns, to tell their stories and to be actively uh, involved in the world. Uh, now, if people want to support your work with debate spaces, how can they do that? Yeah, so uh, I can think of about a million ways, but I'll limit it to just a few. So if you are a student, if you're a middle schooler, sign up for our program. We're debatespaces.org, and you can register for the remainder of the year, the once-monthly Saturday programs. If you're a high schooler and you want to volunteer with debate spaces, you think what we do is cool, um, there's opportunities to do that, too. So, again, go to our website or shoot us an email at info at debatespaces.org. And if you're a teacher and you want your middle school students or your high school students involved, shoot us an email. If you're a school, same thing. Uh, maybe we'll even set up an action, Debate Spaces action cohort at your school. Uh, and if you just think that the work we do is exciting and you want to help to support it, we've got a donate button on our website as well. So feel free to find us there. Um, and yeah, we'd love to hear from, from everybody um, and just have you join us in this work. All right, you hear that middle schoolers, high schoolers listening to this episode. There's tons of opportunity and fun to be had, tons of resources to look into. So if you guys want to do that, make sure to check out debatespaces.org. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to get in contact with us about this episode or any of our other episodes, please do so at whatsthereres at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatsthereres underscore, or check this episode out on our website at www.whatstherez.com. And until next time, Work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.